special giftings with design. God's into that kind of stuff. I think sometimes in our, in our desire to, to have pure and undefiled worship, we forget that God actually likes design. God isn't against intricacy, as long as we don't worship the intricacy. But God likes something that's done well. You look at the human body, it's a machine par excellence. Every single piece of it works in a beautiful way. When your relationship with the Creator begins, so does everything else about your life. Your heart is now a sacred space, and as believers, we have to care for it according to the Father's teaching. As Pastor Daniel shares about the Israelites after their exodus from Egypt, we'll find that their relationship with Him changes, and He teaches them how to do that. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, Worship Matters. series is called Tabernacle. Now, I want to give a number of preliminary remarks before we take this very first chapter here in this section. The entire end of the book of Exodus, really what you have is that you have chapters 25 to about 31. You get all the details of the Tabernacle. That's what you're going to have. And then you're going to have a short little um, break in chapters 32 to 34, which is going to tell the incident of the golden calf. And then from 35 till the end, you're going to get almost a complete retelling of everything we saw in that first section, except we're just going to find that at each place, the children of Israel did exactly what God had asked them to do. So there's going to be a huge reprise section, which will probably take rather quickly because we'll have gone over all the details. Now, really the key to the understanding of the tabernacle, which ultimately is the forerunner or the temporary version of the temple, because the temple will come later. At this point, there are mobile people. The main focus of all of this is that worship matters to God. That's the focus. The reason the tabernacle, with all of its specificity, all the little details, is that it's a theology of worship. Worship matters to the Lord. And it's interesting that in the midst of this section, as we're going to look at all the different pieces of furniture, the tent, all the different offerings, and all these different things, is that what it tells us is that God doesn't accept everything that humans do as acceptable worship. Now, I realize that I say that, and that runs roughshod over the majority of the teaching for people in the 21st century in the West. We just think that we have an overarching idea of spiritual entitlement, that I do whatever I want, and if I do whatever I want, then God accepts everything that I do because I did it. And the Bible teaches something absolutely different. God doesn't accept everything we do as acceptable worship. God has prescriptions and ideas about what is acceptable. Now, why would God do that? Simply because he is God. 
And God is perfect. And each one of us, we all know very well, we, we are living out the realities that all of us are imperfect. And that means all of us. Every single human being except Jesus Christ himself is imperfect, which means part of our imperfections is that we all hold to imperfect theology. Every action we do is theological in nature. Everything is theological. Anything we do, we do it because we have an overarching idea about this is what is fulfillment. This is what God wants from me. And so because all of us, every single one of us fail in a myriad of ways, and God knows that, God has prescribed, this is acceptable worship to me. And so we're going to find that God is going to be very specific with Moses. This is what I want, and this is how I want it. Things even to the simplest details of how big something's supposed to be, what the materials involved are. It's all very specific. It's all very specific. And I don't want us to miss in the midst of all these details that what God is trying to tell each one of us is that God will tell us what is acceptable and he will tell us what is unacceptable. Okay? That's the first thing. Now, it's important for us to realize as we're looking at all of these different parts of the tabernacle, all the different furniture, is uh, scholars for a long time have gone through, you can literally read volumes of discussion about what everything means. And according to Josephus and the rabbis, they would tell you that the tabernacle was meant to be a picture of the creation, the cosmos, where each little detail explains some part of creation. It's very an interesting study, of course. Other people would say that the tabernacle is also a picture of Noah's Ark, which is very, very fascinating if you start thinking about all the details. As Christians, we know that everything in the tabernacle also points to Jesus, because Jesus is the, the true and living temple. Jesus could say, look, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up again in three days. So I believe that the, the best interpretation of the tabernacle is, let's look at what it actually is, and let's look at how it points to Christ. As well, because every single detail points to Jesus. Every single detail does. Now, with the explanation that everything points to Jesus, I'm not going to belabor you with all sorts of, you know, kind of a lot of speculation. Because I know a lot of commentators and people I love very much, people I've learned a lot from, that sometimes you're like, man, you're really out on the edge right now where every single distance has a meaning and every single metal has a meaning. And not that I don't think they have a meaning, but I don't know. I think we can get a little lost in our really fancy interpretations. So I, I would rather you go read other people and let them do that. I want to try and stay a little bit more focused. On it, And believe me, I could bore you with all the distances and the heights and how this number relates to these numbers. I just don't know that, although that's in there that way, I think God is just saying, oh, this is the dimensions of the table that I want. You know what I mean? So I don't, I don't want to over-spiritualize everything for you. And if you're into that stuff, you can pick up almost any commentator and they'll do it for you on a certain level. So for me, I don't want to get into fancy interpretations that may not have been God's intention in the first place. 
So, I, and I realize that for some people, like, oh, I really wish you'd do that, and we can do that on the side if you want, and I can explain to you all the medals and all these things. And, but for me, I, I want to try and stay focused on what is God trying to show the children of Israel, and how does this point us to Jesus? And I'm going to let a lot of the more extraneous, more mystical, maybe some more speculative interpretation, I'm going to leave it on the side for you. Now, you need to realize that what's going on for the children of Israel right now is that God moves from the mountain to dwell with the people. That's a huge thing right there. Everything that God has been doing with the children of Israel since their deliverance from Egypt has been God on the mountain, the distant God who is revealing himself. And now God is going to move from the distant, almighty, powerful God on Mount Sinai to the God who dwells in the midst of his people through the tabernacle. That's a huge thing. And for those of you who read the New Testament, you realize in John chapter 1, it tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. John 1.14, and we beheld his glory. That word dwelt among us is in the Greek... It's the word he tabernacled among us. He took on a temporary tent and was among us. So this reality of God moving from being distant to being with the people, no longer the people going up to God, but now we have God coming down to the people. That's an enormous step. That's an enormous step in the development of the way God relates to people. And I want you to realize this, and we'll say this a lot. If you're here at Crossroads on a regular basis, you hear this a lot. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not, you need to make your way up to me. It's God saying, look, you can't make your way up to me. I'm going to come down to you, and I'm going to meet you right where you are, and I'm going to bring you up to me. That's the Christian gospel. And that's why I think people struggle with the gospel. Because we really want to say, look, I can achieve godhoodness. I was reading some of the writings of, of Mahatma Gandhi. And it was just interesting because I read widely from all over the place. Gandhi is a, is a pretty pivotal figure, in, especially in the 20th century. And one of the things that Gandhi said is that my God is truth and everything I do is an experiment to try and live out the truth. That's classic religion. Religion is saying, I'm trying to attain the truth. And that's why Gandhi, even in his last days, struggled with his Hindu faith because he realized he never reached that Hindu place of moksha or, or enlightenment. He never got there. Buddha never got there. Never reached the enlightenment he spoke about. Why? Because no human can do works to get us up to a place of perfection. Perfection comes from the perfect one coming down. And that's why the Christian gospel is so profound. For me, as someone who didn't grow up with Christianity, read a lot of religions, still read all about world religions to try and understand what different people believe and why, the Christian gospel is absolutely riveting because it actually acknowledges that there are certain things that although we may want to do it, we just can't do it. And God knows we can't do it, and he sent his own son to do it in our place. And the only thing we can do is to say, thank you. And just respond to that and receive God's grace. That's the gospel. And that's why the Christian gospel has been transforming lives forever. It's not us trying to make our way up. It's God coming down, getting the job done on our level and bringing us up with him. And that's the Christian gospel. And that is part of what the tabernacle teaches us. Next, don't miss that the tabernacle shows us the hallowing or the setting apart of space. This is the first time this has happened in the Bible, where now there is a special or a 
to use the word, and I don't want to be overly new agey, but the idea of sacred space. That throughout the Bible, we see God hallowing time, setting apart time, things like the Sabbath. Now God sets apart place. And the reason I think this is important is because for so many people, we have a tendency to want to be kind of pseudo-Gnostics. Gnostics believe that things are spiritual, spiritual things are spiritual, and physical things are physical, and never the two shall meet. Right? But you know what? That's not what the Bible teaches at all. God sets apart time and space. That God makes things in the physical radically spiritual. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. See, God is an anti-body. God took on a body. And he created the body first. And then he took on a body. The spiritual is not tarnished by the physical. And so this idea now that God is saying, look, this place is special. That's not a bad thing. Now, what does that mean for us today? I, I, I think it means that there could be sacred spaces for us. Now, now let me, I say that and I realize that was like, huh? What happened was, is for a long time before the church met in buildings, they would just congregate and where two or three are gathered, it becomes a sacred space. And then all of a sudden you have these huge cathedrals and they're like, oh, God is there, right? And of course, because if you read history at all, the pendulum always swings back and forth, right? Then you hit a point where like, oh, we can't believe that God is can set apart a space. And so you come to all the way to the other side, where for a long time, all of a sudden churches became like, they're just like warehouses, because God forbid we have nice churches, because some people worship the space. See, for us, I believe that any place where God rests in his people, that's a sacred space. We're here in a gorgeous sanctuary in the middle of Vancouver, Washington. And I believe that because Jesus is here, this is sacred. I remember being in Peru worshiping in a room about the size of any one of our restrooms. And it was just, you know, a sheet metal on the walls. It was dirt floor, cardboard on the walls. And there was about 10 of us worshiping. And they were worshiping in Spanish. I didn't have a clue what they were saying. But I was just weeping. And that was the sacred space. Dirt floors and all. Sheet metal and all. See, God, God makes space sacred. And I think that's a special thing. I think that changes the way we look at the things we own. They're just not possessions. They're an opportunity for God to abide in his people. And so it's interesting because we have the tabernacle, then we have the temple, and Jesus says where two or three are gathered, I'm in their midst, which means anytime you're together, if you're at a community group with just a handful of people, when you're here on a Wednesday with some 400, 500 of us, you're here on a Sunday with many thousands of us, or if you're just two of you just praying in a car, that's a sacred space. God inhabits that space. And I think that's a very special thing. Third, I want you to notice how portable this all is. Space is important, but locale is not. This tabernacle is portable. It's movable. And I think that's important because we all want to take certain places and make them extra special. How many of you have gone on a trip to Israel and felt that Jerusalem was a little bit more special than anywhere else you've ever been in the world? Some of you have had that feeling, right? And don't get me wrong. There's some places that you get, the, you get that warm and fuzzy feeling. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I have a lot of those places. I remember I can go to the Ashland Creek in Lithia Park. One of the very first places I was living in Ashland, Oregon, and God spoke to me in such a profound way that I could still go there. Right as I see the spot where it was, I get that like, oh man, God is near feeling. 
that Bethel kind of a feeling, that house of God kind of a place. But this tent is portable. It's designed to be portable. The children of Israel, once they made the, the temple, it became very specific. But ultimately, Jesus said that, and the apostle said that, God will not dwell in temples made with man's hands as though he needs anything, for in him we live and move and have our being. So I believe that God wants us always in our, in our hearts and in our worship to be portable with the Lord. Wherever we are, if we're in Christ, then Jesus is with us. And that's an opportunity for worship. Everywhere, at all times, it's an opportunity for worship. Now, a couple final thoughts. A couple final thoughts here. I think it's also important to remember that this section is going to show us God's importance given to shape, order, design, and intricacy. All those different things, shapes, design. God is the great designer. I look at some of you. Some of you have really special giftings with design. God's into that kind of stuff. I think sometimes in our, in our desire to, to have pure and undefiled worship, we forget that God actually likes design. God isn't against intricacy, as long as we don't worship the intricacy. But God likes something that's done well. You look at the human body, it's a machine par excellence. Every single piece of it works in a beautiful way. I see the, the giftings of God in that. Because some people just have a, an eye for design and things like that. And, and there's no doubt we're going to find God's going to give all the details and he's going to say, look, the Spirit of God is going to inspire some people to be able to carry these things out. And you're going to find different people God is going to use to be the architects and the builders and the designers of all these things. And so there's a, there's a strong place for that. And so I think what, what I'm trying to bring out for each one of us is that I think it's very easy as Christians to think that serving Jesus has to do with standing on a stage at church or teaching the Bible or playing an instrument. And I'm here to tell you that serving the Lord includes those things, but includes a million and one other things. Because God is interested in design. So I think of you teachers. I think of those of you who, who build houses. All these things are acts of worship. If you do it in Jesus' name, there's no limits. I don't want us to ever have a hierarchy of this is what it means to serve the Lord. Like as if I have a job at a church, that's serving the Lord. And if I have a job in a bookkeeping company, that's not. I don't buy that. I think that's one of the ways the church has gotten off kilter. We all serve the Lord all the time in a million different capacities, and we all do it for God's glory. Because God's interested in all of these different things, all of these different things. So with all that being said, let's jump on into the text. Just some preliminary thoughts. So Exodus chapter 25, picking up in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hairs, ram skins dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. 
according to all that I show you, verse 9, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. Now, there's three main principles that are emphasized in these first nine verses. And each one is really important. First is that all giving to God should be voluntary, not forced. And I'm going to get to that in a second. So first, that all giving to God should be voluntary and not forced. Now, second, it is God's aim and purpose to live in the midst of his people. And we get that, of course, in verse 8. God's aim is to live in the midst of his people. That's the whole reason for making the tent. The tent. And then finally, great stress is laid on obedience in carrying out God's plan. Remember verse 9, look what it said. According to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. Chapters 35 to 40 is all going to be the obedience to doing it. So notice, cheerful giving is one. God wants to live in the midst of his people and that we need to be obedient to God's commands. Those are the three principles of these verses. Now, notice in verse 2, speak to the children of Israel that they bring an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. So he begins with, it needs to be an offering that's given willingly. I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, as a church, we're not focused on giving, but it would be an error if I didn't talk about giving when it comes up in the Bible. Because I believe that giving is an outlet of spiritual power. It is. And the reason we don't give very much is because we're stinking selfish. Let's just be honest. I'm from New Jersey. We're just selfish people. We're the most wealthy nation in the world, and we are just selfish to the core. We are. All of us are. And that's why I believe God prescribes giving for us. Now, someone will always say, doesn't it say... Doesn't it say that we should be a cheerful giver? I don't want to give because I'm not cheerful when I give. Some of you feel that way. You know that you're just trying to get out of it. I've always said this. You got to fake it till you make it with God sometimes. There are some times when I don't want to do what I know I'm supposed to do. So just because you don't feel like doing it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. You should do what you ought to do and say, God, I'm going to obey you. You need to bring my heart around. You need to bring my heart around. We should always be cheerful givers. Why? Because everything we really need has been given to us in the first place anyway. Not one of us has any bit of means that wasn't a first, a gift. Maybe you're like, oh, well, nobody helped me. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I got all this stuff. No, no, no. The air that's in your lungs, it's there by gift. The beating of your heart, it's there by gift. The fact that your heart is still beating today, it's there by gift. Your ability to learn, your brain is a gift. Any skills you have, the aptitude for that skill was given by a gift, and the desire and ability to hone that skill is a gift. So everything we have is a gift from the Lord all, for all of us. And so for each one of us, because everything we have is a gift, we should also be givers. Jesus is real. 
As Pastor Daniel taught today, we understood this shift in the relationship between God and His people. God wants to dwell among them. He prepared the people for His coming. He set apart a place for them and us. We can offer our gifts. We're so happy that you're a part of the Jesus is Real Radio family. Jesus is Real Radio is a listener-supported program. We want to let the whole world know that Jesus is real. Your donations help make this possible. You can become a monthly supporter or give a one-time gift by text message. It's easy. Simply text your gift to 855-910-8300. That's 855-910-8300. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue teaching on these nine verses, which talk about honoring God with your giving. Though there are many opinions on the matter, God is not vague about it. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled Tabernacle. Until then, may God bless.